0: Welcome back to another episode of Friendly Shadows Fast Tracks. Today on the show we have Chris Stein. He is going to discuss the good and bad related to streaming. But first he's going to tell us a little bit about himself. Is Chris Stein and I'm a am uh, a professor of management uh but my focus is on business ethics. I have a uh, a PhD in um, in organizational behavior, uh where I study the psychology of why uh people misbehave or do unethical things in their work lives, uh and, and also social lives, uh outside of that. Uh and prior to that, my uh <clears throat> I had a, I have a background in in, in philosophical ethics uh, but my first career was uh, selling musical instruments and then uh, playing in bands and 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 running a recording studio from 2003 until 2011 uh, but I still uh, I still work in the studio uh, part-time on on projects that I enjoy working on uh, So that's that's a little bit about my background. That's great.
1: You know, of all the people I'd want to talk to and have as a guest on the show about so many topics that affect musicians, what is right and wrong when you're trying to put out music or buy music, when you're thinking about the artist or you're thinking about the fans, even? You know, that's what I hope you can shed some light
0: on today. It's a tough question to unpack. We could be here for hours, I'm sure, talking about that and the evolution of how the music industry has changed over time, which is probably an important part to understanding the ethics of of the situation. And since we're in post-internet era, we have got internet, we have social media, and and we've we've gone away from, from hard physical media for music distribution. Streaming is the one that tends to come up the most. And and streaming really was a response, the music industry responding to a threat, right? Which was which was Napster, pirated music. You know, Apple came out with their their music store with the iPod, which kind of was a saving grace for the music industry for a little bit because they were they were able to sell legal copies of MP3s and and music in a digital format that people wanted, and still collect money for it without a lot of concern for piracy because Apple had a pretty rigorous security uh, and digital rights management system but pirating was still an issue and and streaming is kind of the the result of that and so streaming itself fundamentally was designed as a way to combat piracy of music and and that doesn't take the artist into account right because it's it's solving an industry problem, and the industry has always actually had a problem with compensating artists properly. And so the business model of streaming is somewhat problematic because they are streaming tons of music over the internet. Uh, and they are paying, but they're paying at rates that are antiquated, although there was a, a two thousand and eighteen change to the to the laws that didn't do much for musicians, unfortunately that's how they compensate the artist right and I think there's a lot to understand about business models and how we value companies that impacts those types of decisions right So we're familiar with with products like Netflix they stream you know television shows and movies uh, now they're getting into video games there's obviously Spotify and the streaming platforms and Wall Street values them by the uh, the number of subscribers they have. And so that's their main goal is get subscribers, feed ad content to them and collect revenues from subscriptions which basically subsidizes the great cost of these servers that we all stream our music from. And so there's actually not there's not a ton of money to go around. They're paying great royalties to record companies and then what's left over is 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 a business model that's not generating profits like like the old business model used to by by selling us CDs the amount of consumption we get for ten dollars a month on a streaming service would be yeah you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of physical media that we would have had to have purchased in the past and so everybody like everybody along the way is just not putting the dollars into the industry that we we used to
1: you said a whole lot there and I want to know if you can further expand on, how the business model if it has changed since streaming what it used to be like and more so what it's like now and what's in it for the artist that's a
0: great question right so even from the beginning the interesting thing about this is, is it tracks a lot of other things we see in life this news media publication of of books and music have kind of followed this similar path right there's content creators uh, initially they were paid a flat fee. And then the capitalist, the person who owned the means of production, which would have been the publishing source, be it in books, newsprint, or in physical audio media, they would then produce a physical product and sell it, and they would reap the profits from it. That shifted, and creators started to get intellectual property rights and and publishing rights. Now I'm just going to focus mo- all on the music industry. Artists were, were then compensated a bit for their... For the popularity of their creations didn't always happen that way. There've been lawsuits throughout the industry, lots of famous ones involving, you know, Dave Matthews Band and Elvis, tons of tons of famous artists to get compensation for intellectual property rights. But the deal was always that the artist did not have the ability to reach a crowd and therefore the label, which had access to capital funding to produce music, which was very expensive, the marketing knowledge, the production knowledge, and the ability to network with radios and such. They could get your music out, right? So that was that's the kind of relationship that was there. Uh, that got a little shattered when social media came out, right? Artists were able to upload their stuff to MySpace, which is the, one of the original social media platforms we had, and and start to reach their listeners that way. There's a band out of Ohio called Hawthorne Heights that I think have, you know uh, they sold 10 or 30,000 records through MySpace and got picked up by Victory Records and their first re- record was um, was pretty successful because they, they did a lot of grassroots movement uh, on social media, right. So that that showed a little bit of the power difference between labels and, and artists when artists were able to do some of their own marketing, right. And so that 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 relationship needed to change. Uh, at the same time that was going on we started getting into electronic media and so labels were not able to sell their physical media as efficiently as they used to in the past right less people purchased more people pirated or downloaded or streamed and so revenues started to fall the record label then changed their their structure so instead of you know an initial outlay with a percentage breakdown for the artist which, you know, for a twenty dollar album, the negotiation we had back in two thousand and two with the record label, you know, we were signing to. I think it netted us roughly a dollar per per twenty dollar CD sold. After all expenses were recouped, etc., paid back, and that we never even saw that because we needed to recoup all of the initial outlay costs out of that dollar and seventy five cents. That that came back to us, right? So for every record we sold, that buck seventy-five was paying off. You know, the fifty thousand dollars or half a million dollars, whatever your record contract was. But that model broke down. So then they came up with the three hundred and sixty-degree label deal, where in the past, you know, and and how I made my money was on merchandise sales and touring. The label didn't touch that, right? We might get some tour support, but. Uh, it was, we would get the, that type of uh, payment back. So if we were on the road, that's how we made money. We didn't make it off the CD, we make it on the road. The labels got into that. They wanted to own part of the brand. They wanted to own your merchandise sales, like hot topic, right? Those merchandise sales always were, were label driven, but at the shows that was always artist driven. We, we purchased it and we could mark it up and we could sell it and we could keep the profits. But now labels wanted to get into that because of the streaming issue. And, and now lately we have labels which which are are really struggling because they uh, the the cost of recording has gone down. So we've democratized access to distribution via streaming. We've democratized access to recording equipment via the technological advances that make, you know, even what we're doing right here, speaking over great distances and you're recording it on an interface uh, for your for your podcast possible at really inexpensive rates. And, and the sound quality is quite honestly fantastic. What would have cost what did cost me about twenty five thousand dollars to get get started in, in Pro Tools back in 2002. You can get into today for one hundred dollars at your local guitar center. And so that's changed the nature of this relationship. And so that's the positive behind streaming is that artists are now empowered to be able to create and record and have the the ability to do that without the big capital investment of the large recording studio. And they're able to reach fans via social media and streaming. You don't need to have a thousand dollar minimum purchase at Disc Makers to print a CD in order to, to distribute your music you now just upload an mp3 to to a server and anybody can can access it so that's that's the positive side <laughs> and i'll let you i'll let you react to that because there's there's also a lot of negatives that come with it
1: you know it's really fascinating to hear you talk because what i'm hearing is despite all the schemes that whatever party has come up with to make money it still goes back to an artist's network and being able to recoup something. And it sounds like that model uh, with subscription model is just like renaming that, like the businesses are adopting the artist model instead of the artists going to the business for business support.
0: Yeah. And streamers are certainly doing that. Spotify is certainly doing that. Apple Music is certainly doing that. But artists are, you know have been doing that for a while, right? So patreon is one of the big ways that artists are, are getting funding from from their audience these days. But let's just go back to Beethoven and Mozart, okay. We go way back in time. And even as far back as ancient Greece with Socrates, all of these creators, right? content creators, in some case philosophy, in other case classical music, often had to have rich benefactors to allow them the freedom of time to be able to work on creation because music creation requires uh, any creation really requires a lot of free time to be able to sink into that process. And so artists are, you know, the label was that for artists for a long time, particularly when labels were very uh, friendly towards giving out developmental contracts, which would give you a couple albums to, to hone your craft and to tour. But these days it turned into a, a very crowdfunded, type of methodology where you need to attract multiple small benefactors as an artist instead of the one large wealthy capital uh benefactor which would have been a label or or you know part of the aristocracy if we go back in time and look at how music was funded historically yeah so what is the downside to that Well, the downside is that the business model is non-sustainable and it's non-sustainable economically in, in one way and then environmentally in another. And so economically, streamers are not charging enough to be able to pay artists what they were worth under the prior terms of radio, as far as, as as what they get compensated for their songs, and the the business model of me selling you a twenty dollars CD uh, is, is completely gone now. There's there's options, right? There's Bandcamp. Uh, you can still press CDs and sell them. Vinyl has made a big resurgence, and so if if you're able to get access to somebody with a lathe right now, which is which is almost impossible, you could press vinyl and and get that out and sell that but the large majority of your audience is listening to your music without compensating you at all and and that means that the artist is is restricted in their income uh which is which is a big negative uh and so your job now becomes getting benefactors on patreon getting benefactors on bandcamp getting benefactors on soundcloud on top of trying to market yourself network yourself book shows yourself because you don't have any of the administrative support that used to come with this stuff in the past so that's one downside the second downside is it's uh all of the streaming is is really environmentally unsustainable Uh, maybe not unsustainable but but far worse than what we used to have when we look at vinyls and 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 the amount of you know greenhouse gas emissions and and physical waste of vinyl takes to produce that it seems counterintuitive that streaming over your phone would be would be worse for the environment but the the cost of running these data servers and the air conditioning and all of that that goes goes into play for streaming any type of media is really large and and so a CD uh, the amount of greenhouse gas that 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 production of a CD, including plastic jewel cases, books, uh, booklets, uh, takes would equate to roughly five hours of listening time on a streaming platform. Vinyl's uh, vinyl's a little bit more because vinyl is more wasteful. Uh, but if you listen to a record for more than 17 hours total, you, you actually were better off <laughs> just buying the vinyl and listening to it there because you're. You're going to be more environmentally friendly. So there's there's these hidden costs that are going on, a lot of waste in the industry, which which seems counterintuitive because we're not seeing the physical waste that that we were used to in the past with physical media, uh, cassette tapes, and if, if for anybody who used eight tracks, they're in between the CDs and the vinyls. The tape is 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 quite uh, quite costly for for the environment to make, and so there's there's layers and layers of ethical issues with the way we do things right now in the industry from artists not being paid to uh to to a, to a business model platform for streaming that's 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 based on a lot of our gig economy such as Uber such as Netflix where where the valuation is the number of ears or eyeballs uh in the system and not necessarily creating a a sustainable business model that that generates enough income to offset all of its costs and, and properly compensate everybody along the the value chain. And so so those are the downsides that came with streaming. What do you do if you
1: want to be an artist and distribute your music?
0: That's a conundrum we face because a lot of artists are Uh, Quite connected to social causes, right? I'm sure that there are many out there who consider themselves to be very environmentally friendly and practice those types of things in their daily lives. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of things going on. The power of the market, it's all about consumers, what they want, and we want streaming. That's what we consume these days. And with the attention span of younger generations shrinking, not listening to to songs that really get over two and a half, three and a half minutes, listening partially to songs and then jumping back and forth. I mean, this is something technology has given a younger generation that, you know, I might have had CDs and I might have been able to make mixtapes, but... You know, <laughs> that's a relatively recent phenomenon to be able to just skip around so fast that the consumer preferences have have really changed. You have you have to meet your consumers where they're going to be, right? That's the that's the catch to all this is if that is what your your listeners are are listening to, you're, you're going to have to use it, right? Now you could, you know, you can think about different ways of doing things. You know, downloading an MP3 takes us a substantially less amount of power, uh, from streaming platforms to do. And so if there's, if there's a favorite song you've got, or if you're, you're trying to encourage your listeners to, to be more green, you could have, you could offer downloads, right. And, and streaming platforms could do that as well, right? Oh, we noticed that you've played this song 40 times. Maybe, maybe you should just store it on your device so that that saves cost to the environment, saves cost to the streamer. Uh, and hopefully, you know, there's a business model in place that allows when those extra savings and cost savings come in that, that we can pass that along to the artist. But I fear that that ship has has already sailed. I really am worried that uh, artist compensation under this model just does not feasibly work economically. That's just where we've gotten in, in industry. And if we look historically at the music industry, uh, and unless it's threatened, it doesn't change. Right. Fee for service fee for you to compose that worked until music got popular and the artists knew they were worth more than that then it became royalty sharing right and then it became well we're investing in you and so we'll recoup our investment and then you get royalty shares napster happened and and itunes happened and it became a 360 deal the significant changes in the music industry only happen when it's threatened and when it was threatened by piracy and online music, the music industry changed. And the music industry in, in in many of these changes doesn't doesn't bring the artist along with it. And so it's going to take a really creative mind uh to to tap into how we as consumers consume music in order to find a way to revenue generate enough to sustain the costs of high the, the real economic costs of of maintaining all these servers for us to, to stream from, but also to find ways where artists can be, you know, fairly compensated for the, for their creation, because I don't know how an artist ever has the financial security in the current market to, to have the freedom of time to really hone their craft, which was the hidden benefit behind the record label. I know there was a lot there's always been a lot of artist resistance to record labels but um you know having funding to work as a musician and and live uh is really the the blessing of the label that is that is really gone under our current model
1: is it still going to be the artist says this is what's in style or are we looking at the
0: marketers telling us what's in style we've all We've always had marketers telling us what's in style. So it's not not totally new, but often a lot of that stuff comes out of grassroots type movements, right? And artists drive that. Uh, You think of... Most of the musical revolutions that have happened, uh, I was born in the in the 80s. And so I, I, I can you know, it's easier for me to describe then. Right. But the, the 80s pop music stuff was heavily marketed, heavily perceived to be heavily manufactured, uh, whether that's true or not. Public perception is. Is is really all that matters in in that situation. And so you you had 80s alternative, uh, which then gave rise to the grunge movement and an alternative rock that dominated the 90s, uh, at least in the early part. And then a lot of aggression, you know, in in the heavy metal stuff that became really popular towards the end of the '90s into the 2000s. And then we got back into marketed stuff, right? Uh, there was still pop going on then, but pop became super commercialized again post that that '90s movement uh, where there was a lot of tension between pop and underground. But artists drove a lot of them, right. I mean, this is these are artists who are coming out and and making statements uh, and trying to do something dramatically different, right? So Nirvana's success. As a grunge band, you know, open doors for, for other bands like that. I mean, at that time, and, it, and it's, and it's amazing to see, you know, cause this stuff doesn't necessarily happen on such a scale these days, but if you were in Seattle or you were a Seattle band, that was, that was it. Labels wanted you. Nirvana had success. And even though the message was anti-establishment, so, you know, <laughs> it, it didn't matter. Right? There was dollars to be had, and so it's really, it's really a give and take from all sides. Right? Artists are going to push towards towards new creative outlets and new ways of doing things. Uh, they drove a lot of the social media change that now labels have caught up to in in their evolution. Right? I mean, artists went to the streaming platforms and Napster really quickly. Right, they latched onto social media as an outlet. They latched onto to to free distribution services rather quickly, and and labels really, if you recall, if you were if you were around and paying attention to the industry in the late '90s and early 2000s, labels fought that to the death. You know, the Metallica lawsuits against Napster, the closing, the shutting down of Napster, the advent of of several other torrent-like file share programs that. That emerged afterwards, the early streaming platforms that were out there that didn't gain much popularity, all of that was was a result of the tension between artist, fan, and label. I, I'm I'm lumping the publishers in with the labels, even though that they they really are, really separate and can be in different areas. Uh, but it's that interaction, right? And and what shakes out from it is is ultimately decided by consumers and consumers' behavior, right? Because that's that's where the money is going to come in from, and so you, you you have to look at what our preferences are as listeners. And so, we're going to need some sort of major revolution to our listening habits if we want to change the platform. It's going to be very hard to change price structure uh, right now, you know, because we have a tough economic system. But uh, you know, thinking about thinking about changing price structure, you know, what if we did? a video game industry style distribution system where, you know, they manage to go digital and, and streaming, (laughs) but they still charge you a full price for their product. Right. And so the, the the developer can sell you a, a 20 or 30 or $50 or $60 video game. You don't get the physical media. It's transmitted via the internet. In some cases it's transmitted via streaming and, uh, and you're able to, to to interact with that product for as long as the, the platform uh, exists. And so there may be options, you know, if an artist can sell rights to streaming their product as, as an album, that might help. But, but again, it's consumer preferences, right? If I could pay $10 a month and get access to everybody, why would I buy your $20 CD? Uh, unless I'm out there to be a benefactor for you.
1: indication that there's a market for good good consumers (laughs) who want to who want to do right is it is that a market worth
0: catering to there's a critical threshold where where these things happen and we've we've seen it with vinyl right vinyls vinyls are a good way to address this problem or this question because you know vinyl was it was dead, uh, it, you know, went out of fashion, cassettes were more convenient, took up less space, easier to produce, better sound quality, arguably. Right. I mean, that's that's a debate. That's a preference. You know, the stereo uh, versus mono, you know, less risk to damage the product, you know, and, and as our media evolved, consumer taste evolved with it. There was always a, a subculture of vinyl listeners, right? People who kept their own old turntables or invested in new turntables and, and started collecting and, and demanding new music release as vinyl. That has been going on for, for decades. That's It's never died, really. It's, it's kind of been out there as an undercurrent. It wasn't until the pandemic happened when and it started before the pandemic but the pandemic accelerated a lot of our our social cultural trends uh this one as well where listening habits changed I'm no longer on the go and so I like vinyl I, I I'm able to listen to it at home more easily since I'm working from home I'm not going out and socializing so much and so vinyl became a hotly demanded product and that is why it's very hard to get access to, uh, anyone with a with a vinyl lathe right now, uh, because most of the major labels have taken to reissuing old records on vinyl. And that was traditionally the response to the record industry that artists use. Right. Vinyl was an underground independent punk rock movement when I was in, you know, out on the road. Uh, that was that was kind of like the hip uh, or hipster thing to do. You know, when I was younger, was to was to get new music on vinyl. But now it's now it's a big market. So it seems like there are ways that consumers, you know, consumers are willing to pay. But it's it's it really comes down to a matter of of what they want, what they desire, and what they're willing to pay for it, right? Uh, And 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 music is good at finding those things. We have the VIP passes for concerts. We had the streaming concert revolution during COVID. Uh, we've shifted back into vinyl uh there's even a, a in the underground cassette movement which just fascinates me because cassettes were never my favorite media at all for 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 listening and yet just just a few years ago in Boston I was I was given cassette demos by a lot of bands and and so there's that going on too but that hasn't seemed to caught on like the vinyl did. It, it's really determined by the consumer. And if there's enough shake-up or, or a new actor who causes enough chaos in the market to, to attract enough people uh, to a new way of listening, then, then we will see change. So you've done
1: a lot of research, a Spotify business model, and you've explained a lot about how it's not sustainable. And you've gone over how it's even not an even environmentally as safe as maybe some of our printed media if it's
0: all bad what's good about it (laughs) it's the you know we have a whole generation a whole generation of people who have come of age at least in their purchasing age right so i'm speaking you know, of, of people who, who've, who've entered the labor force and, and, and are generating income and, and hopefully generating enough that they have disposable income to spend on this, these types of things where where things have been free, right? Facebook is free. Twitter is free. Platforms I use for entertainment are free. I watch YouTube for free. I stream video games on Twitch for free. I listen to my music on all of these platforms for free. you know, Pandora, when it came out, was, was one of the most fascinating things I had seen, trying to break down music to its core by bu- music theory and, and common characteristics to create an algorithm to introduce you to new music. That was free. And so we've been conditioned in some ways that if I I sit through a 5 to 10 second, 15 second advertisement, then I get to have my content for free. A- and that type of expectation has been bred into generation for probably 15 years now. And that's uh, that's hard that's hard to take, right? Uh, that's really hard to take. And And everything also has been pretty economically, at least in the United States, fairly inexpensive, right? We didn't see massive price rises in a lot of categories. We've We've combated rising prices by finding cheaper methods of of production or distribution. And we've really made our money off of, you know, what we what's been termed surveillance capitalism. Right. So I I take some of your privacy, I take some of your data and information and, and I package and sell that. And that's how I make my money in a lot of these platforms, you know, until we go get a social conscience that, you know, realizes, you know, paying for stuff in, you know, paying for things of value, it becomes valued again. Uh, for the sake of it, or that we create enough value in what we are doing, uh, in this case, maybe as artists, that we justify, you know, the costs, uh, it's going to be hard to change, right? It's If you're brought up in a society where, you know, your entertainment needs are free, free apps on the phone for video games, free videos on YouTube, free movies, free music, uh, it's very hard to, to begin charging for things that we're, free and that's there's a social conscience that needs to change you know that's funny you know as obvious as
1: that is I'm really glad you pointed it out today because everything you listed I saved up my allowance for and bought at the end of the week or at the end of the month growing up I had to like do dishes for and now I wonder if it's even affected The way we live or something, all this surgence of free media, wow, it just boggles my mind that I used to pay for everything that I took in. There's there's a cost uh, associated with all that stuff still
0: lodged in my brain. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's how I was raised, right? Uh, uh, I came up. Buying a CD was a was it 20 bucks, you know, the mid to late 90s was that was a that was a substantial amount of money, right? Minimum wage in 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 New York, where I grew up, was like five dollars and ten cents an hour at the time. And so to buy a CD, you'd have to work five or six hours at your job if you're making minimum wage. And that was that was a big purchasing decision, right? Getting a new new album was a you know, was something that you had to think about, and you had to make an informed choice. We, we're not forced to choose anymore. We, there's there's no cost to our attention. We just give our attention to what we choose to give our attention to, without without it weighing any cost to us. Industry reacts to that, right? So whatever we're choosing, you get more of, and 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 we just keep feeding you things like that because your attention is what's what's now valuable to to these organizations, uh, and so it, it's it's a foreign concept. I think to, to charge for this stuff like we used to. And, and, and it's, it's, it's really fascinating to talk to younger people these days and, and just even explain, you know, what a, what a video rental store used to look like and, and how, you know, date nights were two hours trying to figure out what $2 movie you were going to rent to bring home. It's, it's really a foreign concept that everything is at your fingertips, like you said. And so we we have expectations and, and it's very, very challenging to change our desires when we when we expect something like that for, for free.
1: store wow gosh and that was just part of everyday life and video games too were like a huge investment and there were no updates or anything like it was either great or it stunk and that's just the way it was they would they didn't patch or anything uh i mean this is this is a fascinating conversation and and there's uh what do you call it um i forget what they call it but where you pay a little bit here and a little bit there. And there's some people they call whales and is there a uh, mile...
0: microtransactions? I think
1: microtransactions. That's right. Do you see be due to the popularity of microtransactions a feasible, because see you and me probably grew up in a generation where we, we don't, we don't really like that. I mean, I don't, I don't really like it. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to punch in something every time something charges me a little. But my son does it 10 times a day probably with 40 cents and 50 cents. So I'm wondering if there is a way to pay as you go or if anyone that
0: you have found. No, I'm not aware of, I mean, outside of what you mentioned with iTunes, right? Which was, was okay, I like this song. I bought the song. I own the, I own the song, right? There was kind of this. I it, I don't actually own it, right? But but there's psychologically the transaction was here's a dollar. I own the MP3 and I can listen to it whenever I want. That's the closest I've seen to it. So if you're talking more about microtransactions and and let's just let's just give an example. So people who may I'm hopefully hopefully everybody's familiar with them now because they're everywhere. But uh, let's say you got a, a a game on your iPhone and you you've got you know points that you can. You know, spend to do activities in the game. So I want to play this map, this level or map. Uh, I, I cost me five points. Uh, you run out of points, the game asks you, "Would you like to purchase more for a dollar?" Exactly. Uh, and so, and so we we do. Uh, uh, the the issue, at least, the thriving portion. This gets into the the psychology of uh, of a lot of the stuff that I I, I actually research. Um, and, and a lot of those things are based psychologically off of, uh, you know, engagement types of models, you know, Pavlonian types of responses, uh, you know, some types of operant conditioning, right? I, uh, a lot of these, these mobile games, and, and games is just where I'm more familiar, so I'm going to just use that as context. A lot of these mobile games have these very flashy um, reward-based systems, right? So I click a button boom I, I see gold rain from the sky i see fireworks i get happy music right and and it's oh google i did something i i put time in i got rewarded right and so they repeat this process uh to train you uh, that i do an action i get a reward i do an action i get a reward operant conditioning basically uh that taps into you know a deep part of our psychology uh and then they they slowly over time start to extend the amount of time you have to put in to get that reward right so this is this is this, this 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 rush of endorphins this dopamine rush uh this reward for for doing the task that you've been trained to do and then be rewarded from is then removed from you and that's this very psychologically ha- not harmful but it, it's uncomfortable for us when that happens right it's very difficult if you always do something and you always get paid or you always get a reward then you start doing the action and the reward's gone, we know that sucks motivation out of things. We know that changes people's behaviors, right? Your child, as they're growing up, they read books because they love reading books. The minute you start rewarding them for reading those books, the intrinsic motivation goes away and and now it's the extrinsic motivation of of getting the reward. And so if you withhold the reward, the behavior ends. And that's kind of what microtransactions tap into, uh, which is probably why a lot of us feel resistance to them or, or dislike them. And so, uh, you know, they, they, they remove the reward. You can then pay for the reward. That's, that's one model. Another model is the gambling model. There's a reward out there. And now I need to pay almost like a baseball card, comic book card collection type of transaction where I I buy a pack of tops I want to get Aaron Judge's card because he's he's the best baseball player in the world right now or debatably. And and so I buy this pack and I open it up and I don't get it. Right. And so, you know, what happens? We we buy and buy and buy and buy and buy. It's it's kind of like a gambling behavior. Right. Or it can be like a gambling behavior. So those are those are the negatives um, I see in, in the microtransaction world because they really do play on, you know, a deeper part of human psychology that is incredibly uh, difficult to overcome and very, uh, very uncomfortable, too. Uh, and, and and it's not something that if if we're unaware of it, that you're going to really recognize as um, as a habit building type of, of process. You're just you're just playing a game on your tablet. Uh, and so it comes down to willpower a lot. Uh, when those frustrations ar- arise and i am not sure that's the best way that we should be uh you know engaging in commercial transaction just because it, it, it feels very manipulative uh you know it, it's a humongous industry uh i'm not saying that it's it's a horrible uh, i'm just pointing out that side of things
1: I noticed that there's games in everything. Now, not everything has microtransactions, but even my the DAW that I mix music in compared to the way it looked back in Cool Edit Pro 2.0 days, it looks like a video game now. And it and it feels like a video game now. I'll admit I'm a Luddite. Um, and for folks that don't know, that just means I like old stuff. It feels like there's games in everything and and I've heard the term gamification gamification is a
0: fascinating thing uh I've actually tried to structure you know the courses I teach kind of like a game where you, you you earn points and uh you know sometimes you can use those points to not take a test because you've you've done X amount of learning activities that by by that point, according to research, you know you you do you do enough repetitions, you you start to learn, right? And so there's there's you you can learn in your own way, right? Uh, which which increases engagement and and so gamification, even the way I use it, is the same way, right? Let's let's make it so it's 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 something that people want to engage with. And and hopefully it's creating some fun or enjoyment. It's it's when it's when that in that fun or enjoyment is is either diminished or 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 cuts to deeper parts of our psychology where I get worried. Right, so teenagers aren't aren't often uh, really psychologically equipped to be taking in so much critical information about who they are and and social media is nothing if not uh, a ton of critical information coming at us all the time Crit- critiques of our opinion cr- critiques of how we look, etc and so posting something and hoping for likes and getting criticized you know is not healthy for us uh, unless we're, we're we're equipped to to deal with that type of feedback right to be able to take it and understand that that it's not. A, a very serious thing right that it, that it doesn't mean everything for our lives and so uh you know gamification I think there's positive uses it's just when they get into to the gambling side or 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 into the side of withholding rewards where it's like a train behavior that I worry about it right and so there's 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 good use and bad use you know I I think we're starting to see uh outcomes from from some of these uses of of microtransactions that are that 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 are, they're looking like they're predatory, uh, that doesn't mean that that all of them are, or that we're even right about that. It just uh, it's it's just a concern, I should say. You know, some of the stuff you
1: say makes me feel like a lab rat. It's like, yeah, that's me, man. I'm just chasing the cheese.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, um, as a, a really a good mentor of mine once said. Uh, he said he said, human beings are all so different. Like we're all very different people. and yet, at the same time, no matter how complex and different we are, we're we're also kind of predictable, which, which is great, which gives me a job, right? <laughs> because if that wasn't the case, I wouldn't have a job, but it's also it's also an instance of how much we really share, right? in, in, in the experiences we have in the world,'re we're all we're all a little bit similar. So I don't know.
1: I'm not going to feel bad about it. But what I want to do is thank you so much for talking with me today. And I hope you come back. I'd like to have you when I'm presented with an issue, like I know I have NFTs coming up. Excellent. Have a good one, Kelly. You too, man. Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Fast Tracks. Coming up, we have Dino Demiro and Mikey J. You do not want to
2: miss this.